Hi, my name is Marco Weeks, and this is One Mike Night, the podcast that brings you inspirational stories of artists and their journeys in entertainment, helping to guide, answer questions, and inspire your path in the business. Today, we have a, a very special guest. I've known him for a long time. He is a consummate performer. His voice is crazy, and I'm sure you, if you don't know him by now, you will know him after this. Please welcome Stefan Anthony Beasley to One Mic Night. Stefan, how you doing? Hey, I'm pretty good. Good, good. welcome I'm glad to, to be One here. Mic Night. Good, thank you for, for being here. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. So, you, we've known each other for a long time. Yep. And you have been one of the biggest supporters of One Mic Night around. But today, I want everybody to get to know who you are. Mm-hmm. You can't not know Stefan Anthony Beasley and see him walk in the room without smiling. What is it? What is it that you have that brings the light into the room when you walk in? You're wow. exceptional. Well, that is a wonderful thing to say. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, and it, it's real gray outside today, so that, that's bringing some extra light <laughs> in the room. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I think that... I was taught very early to appreciate every day and to appreciate um, any way that I was blessed and to appreciate like positive people and positive energy because that's not like, you know, always a given in life. Like, You know, I I feel like, I think kids have different values now, and I don't wholly agree with some of the values I was raised up with, but there was just a lot of like baby boomer, greatest generation, black folks sort of instilling that kind of the world doesn't owe you anything kind of thing. And I mean, you know, kind of, we kind of know now that mm, a little bit, yes, it does, but like what that instilled in me was gratefulness. And so maybe people are responding to my sense of gratefulness. And especially I think in the decade that we've been really connected through artists community, because for me, that was my thirties and what I came to really, um, accomplished within that decade was to figure out how to have a life that I learned to love to live in. Right. And um, no matter what was in any sort of bank account, no matter what was not on my resume yet, no matter mm-hmm. what I, if I was single or partnered or, um, no matter what's not checked um, off my to-do list, you know, yet. So I think that if people see a light when I enter a room, um, especially in the last 10 years, it's been that because I've just been really trying to get in my gratefulness bag. And, 
you know, given the current climate of the world, it gets a little <laughs> challenging every it day. It absolutely does. It gets a little challenging, but I definitely still try to check myself and um, and function in that uh, that gratefulness bag because, um, yeah, it'll 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 take you a long way and it'll improve the day. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Do you think that parlays in your your music and writing and mm-hmm. what you sing? Absolutely. So mm-hmm. I musically. My musical life starts when I was um, when in, in adolescence, and I was really focused on classical music uh, for two reasons. I thought, one, I thought it was really interesting. It was an interesting diversion from just sort of the rest of my life. Um, and I was very focused on um, very focused on classical music. Were you trained in classical music? Trained in classical music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trained in classical music. Very interested in that. And also, uh, but the roots are definitely in, in gospel in the Black church. And so um, I really liked that contrast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was in that contrast, in that bag, and that was sort of how I got, you know, my higher education paid for. And then I stopped um, being really musically active once I moved to New York, which is, seems strange, but I um, I moved to New York and I came here for graduate school and I did a, like a couple of things, but I was not really focused on becoming a musician. I um, I in the in the winter of two thousand and three, I was on Showtime at the Apollo um, when, uh, when Monique was the host, so shout out to that. Um, and, uh, so that was awesome, but, uh, you know, it, um, what was that experience like for you? That experience uh, was, it was really something. Um, so that was 2003 and that was the first time in my adult life that I had gotten really a taste of performing at a big level. I went on Showtime at the Apollo and I did, um, Overjoyed by Stevie Wonder, and I was in this very kind of over-the-top outfit. It was the early 2000s. There was a lot of cutting of things, like a lot of you cut things up and then you made it part of an outfit. It's looking real crazy. Um, and uh, there was like there was like all these there were all these tilted hats, if you remember, um, that I had tied like a t-shirt thing around. Um, just very over the top. Uh, anyway. Um, so I'd had what a word mean to you. What did it mean to you to perform at the Apollo Theater? For those of you who don't yeah. know who are listening, tell people what the Apollo is. So the Apollo is, um, first of all, how can you not know what the Apollo is? But for those right. people who don't know, well, it's a cornerstone of you know music and theater and culture in America and in the world, first of all. But really, you know, it's that it's that cornerstone artistic place, one of the cornerstone artistic places in New York City and, and in Harlem specifically. So it's the world famous Apollo Theater and many iterations of its um, of its amateur night have been either televised and still go on live. I think like every Wednesday, it's, there's still amateur night, even though that, you know, maybe like it's not um, a television show at this point. Um, but anyway, it was it was a wonderful feeling. And I, re- I literally, I, I took enough time to breathe it in for myself. I remember rubbing that log. I remember 
like telling Monique that I lived for her right before, like whispering it to her before we went on camera. Like I remember what it felt like to walk off the stage because I think it was Tony Rock who was the co-host at the time. Like he held my hand backstage. He's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. Cause I was just like literally shaking. Right, um, it's big. It's big to perform it, there. And just a little, you know, to insert a little bit more, yeah. it's one of the places where almost all the famous mm-hmm. uh, African-Americans have performed, including yeah. Michael Jackson, James Brown, you know, all the top people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and people all over the world flock there to see talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a big, I think the Apollo is a big part of my story um, mm-hmm. as far as a performer, but sort of and there would be two other times that I would perform one televised and one on an amateur night where um, a friend of mine had just encouraged me to go, um, which was a little bit later, but you were wanting to know like what comes across in my music as far as um, like how I approach life. And I think it is, I think that it's very much one in the same and it's, it's, it's interesting. I do, I I sing like I talk and I write music like I talk, right? Um, which mm, it doesn't really work for everybody who loves me. Like there are people who really, 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 really love me as a person, but are not in love with my music. They're not really checked in with me as an actor and they don't really know. They're a little confused by like my efforts in the realm of public health. They just like really like me as a person. And that's right. another thing that I learned over the course of my adult life. Um, and I, I think I kind of landed at that in my late 20s that like just because someone is your family member, friend, loved one, it is not, they don't have to be your fan, right? Like they right. don't like, relationship actually is enough. Um, and so I think that they may not connect with you on yeah. what you're doing as an yeah. artist. Yeah. And I've experienced that too. I'm, I'm right there with you on that one. Yeah. Like, and I think it's a very important lesson to learn. And actually I have some, I have some younger folks in my life who have not learned that lesson yet. And they, they only want to really half listen to me when I say it. But I think that the, 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 in my music, the gratefulness piece and uh, this the, the piece where I'm really like uh, being more self-reflective, um, that definitely comes across in all of my musics. Um, and I've been I've been producing my own music since 2007 with a collective of folks from New York City, from my hometown Louisville, um, some folks in Canada, New Hampshire. And a couple of folks in Atlanta, and so all, all, um, all thirteen years of that music is on all major um, music platforms and streaming platforms and social media, just under my name. Um, and so, but yes, the gratefulness piece. Um, but specifically, what I'm trying to share in my music is I'm sharing experiences from my heart and my life experience, and I'm also wanting to uh, share joy and power with people. You know, that's really like songs of joy and power is what is at at the end of everything. Like that is what my entire catalog, you know, will be known as um, is just, you know, songs of joy and power. Um, And uh, yeah, I think that's how, 
however I show up in a room and however I'm showing up in life absolutely shows up in my music. Absolutely. And I have to agree, you, you have this unique way of bringing the audience along with you for, for the ride. You know what I mean? Like your music, your lyrics, your performance, you, you sort of bring everybody along with you. They become part of your, of your show and your music. Yeah. And it's almost like an old school style that, you know, like superstars have, you know, like a, like a Diana Ross type of feel to it where you like everybody is so involved in the song and you just feel it from your core. Mm -hmm. And that's what I like about you the most. Thank you. Let me ask you, what was the transition like? Where, first of all, where let's let's go way back. Where where are you from? Where where are your roots? So I was born um, in 1980 in Louisville, Kentucky, to um, really to two very. I mean, my parents are so much more beautiful than I ever will be. I to two really beautiful teenagers who really just they really managed to make these perfectly staged managed transitions at a for me at a very very young age and there was a very wonderful village um around me of just like uh family members and but more specifically like friends of family like these these older mentors that they themselves had and that like my grandmother had um, who really just um, fostered a community of support and of truth as well. Like there was none of this like Stefan can do no wrong kind of thing. Like all of the, like all of my sense of gratefulness and um, self-evaluation and self-reflection comes from, you know, really being um, immersed in, in all of these adults that, you know, invested time in me and also listened to me, but also was there to just be like, uh, no. Um, <laughs> and, uh, rare, which is a gem at the same yeah. time, you know, it's rare to have that and yeah. it's, it's a blessing at the same time. And so what, what youth looked like for me, it was split between, um, it was split between Louisville, Southern California and, um, Savannah, Georgia. Uh, my mom, soon after I was born, um, decided to do, um, the, uh, the Air National Guard. And so, uh, that took us to a couple of places, and uh, then my dad, uh, with his radio career, moved to Savannah, Georgia, and so there was a period where I was splitting my time between Louisville and Savannah, Georgia, in um, in the mid to late '80s, and then we all sort of settled back into Louisville um, for, mo I guess, for all of for most of the 1990s. Um, and what happened was, um, my mother and my father they were growing up as people, right? So they both had their first marriages in the in the same year of each other. And they had the, their second kid uh, in the same year, like within like, well, no, the same, their second child, like my sister on my mom's side and my dad's and my brother on my dad's side, they were, they were born in the same month in 1991. Um, and so they, so we, it was this whole new paradigm with all these new people created um, in the early 1990s, uh, that I, it was still kind of like I was an only child because by the time all those people came, <laughs> like I, you know, people, there were marriages and like other kids and blah, blah, blah. But I had already had sort of this life that was centered again around gospel and classical music. So I had, you know, choir rehearsal at the church Wednesdays and, um, 
classical music on Thursdays and then a concert schedule for both choirs. And then um, I was very involved. It was usually, I was usually in a school play. I wasn't like the star, but I was in a school play and which really lends itself to how I show up right now because I really, for act, for the acting piece, I really enjoy being in a supportive role. Um, and, um, and I actually really enjoy supportive roles in, in short films. I really do. I think I just like tighter projects. And um, so that is how I spent my youth, you know, with this really supportive system of adults um, in, in artistic space. And then, you know, I was a, a kind of an above average student. Um, and then moving in, I always knew, always, even with all the problems that we had, and even when my father's voice would annoy the shit out of me, I always knew that as a black boy in America to have my real ass black daddy, um, like... He, he seemed almost omnipresent. Uh, he was uh, he was on the um, on the city's radio station at the time for most of the for most of the eighties and the nineties. He worked in radio, and for a short time, he worked in television as well. So he seemed omnipresent because not only was he on the radio, he was on the television. He was always in my face <laughs> um, about whatever. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so you feel I, like I gave you a good head start and a good grounding he, for what you're doing. Yeah, I think that I think that a, he's he's definitely how I show up in. Um, he's a big part of how I show up uh, as far as um, presence, um, kind of how I uh, pay attention to and keep up with people. Um, my personal style, some of that stuff is his. Um, but I definitely, I just wanted to lift that up because I really, it really was, um, it really was a privilege to really have him around at that level. And from the age of like 12 to 18, I actually, he was, he and his wife at the time, um, who is definitely still a third parent to me were, um, I lived with them on the weekdays, um, you know, for the school year. And that kind of always feels like you know, the primary parent, if you're, if you're in, if you're in a joint custodial situation and you're in one house for those five days that you have to go to school, like that kind of feels like the main, the main bid, um, as it were when you're a kid. Um, and then, so that's a little bit about my background. And then just a brief fast forward before New York city, I went to a small private school in West Virginia called the university of Charleston, which really nurtured me, um, and also made me realize that Louisville was civilization. But then also, like, I saw some things in that crazy West Virginia town that I have not seen since. It's kind of a nut. It gets a little nuts there. Um, for a, in, in pre-9-11-2001, pre I did a semester in Sydney, Australia. And it was everything. I like Australia is everything that anybody ever said it was. It is gorgeous and crazy. And I was 20 and 21 and I, I lived very, very fast there and a lot of things happened there. And I still actually, you know, have friends, uh, from that time in my life who were actually on my zoom wedding. Um, I got married on the 27th of June and, um, they, 
you know, they were there. And then, um, then I graduated from college and then it was New York. Wow. How do you feel about the international travel? You're talking about Australia. Do you feel like that had a big part in shaping your life? Because I know from my own travels, experiencing overseas and how you're received around the world, you know, and seeing things with your own eyes and being able to experience things. I think that's the best education you can have. Oh my God. how to deal with so much and so many different peoples. Yeah. So my decision to go to Sydney was made in a computer lab in the middle of the night when I was catching up on some work. I think I was a sophomore and, um, I was in the computer lab at my school and I think that there was like a picture of the Sydney 2000 Olympics and I had been toying with study abroad. I think someone else had been to Europe that I knew and I was like, no, I'm going to do my my whole thing. And this is definitely a thing of being from Louisville. You want to be original. Like I'm going to do something original. Like I'm not, I'm going to be on something else that's something that nobody else is on. It's also a very much a nineties kid thing too. Right. And so, um, so that I wanted to do something original. So I was going to go to Australia. I mean, well, first, first of all, you, you, you're from Louisville. You yeah. call it Louisville. Yeah. You know, and it's, most of us call it Louisville, but not call, Louisville. I'll say Louisville. Louisville. Yeah. I, I think it's interchangeable. <laughs> like if I'm talking to someone, usually in a setting like this, and I'm surprised I didn't say Louisville, I don't know what I, we'll have to roll the tape to see what I said when I said it the first time. But usually in a formal setting, <laughs> usually in a formal setting, I'll say Louisville. Right. But if it's with somebody I know, it might be Louisville. I don't know. Um, so what I was saying was, so that was, it was made on a whim and I did a short search and ended up studying, um, ended up applying for this program called Study Australia and I was accepted. And I think the only reason why I got to go is because I was at a private school and the tuition was pretty high, and I had gotten a really nice package of um, of, uh, of scholarships and financial aid. And I think that that's the only reason why I got to do something like that because it sort of like the experience and my tuition was the same, one of the same. But getting right. more to your question, um, interestingly enough, the one of my closest friend that I have that still lives in Australia actually was took a picture of the building I lived in when I lived there. And oh. Sydney was very much my rehearsal for New York. Um, it was a fabulous rehearsal, but it was, I knew, I knew New York was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And um, Sydney was a beautiful rehearsal for it. Um, I, I lived in a, in a section of town that kind of is like the West village. It's called Glebe. Um, it was right by the University of Sydney, which was kind of like, for me, if I was to compare it, Sydney Uni is definitely like Sydney's NYU. And so it was very much the equivalent of that sort of neighborhood, that sort of vibe. And I could walk everywhere. Um, I mean, I could have... School-oriented, artistic, yeah. free. Mm-hmm. All of those things. So I, yeah, I did a, I, di- I directed a play while I was there. I hate Hamlet by Paul Rudnick, um, and they were serious about their theater. Um, and thank God they were because I mean I can, uh, me and directing like I, I'm good at like, I'm good for curating a conversation at like a table read level, 
But when it gets up and gets its legs and the blocking, like, I know when I'm out of my depth. And so I had, <laughs> I had a co-director who did, all, I made the choices about how the conversations were going to go, but I had someone else do the blocking because once you get into, for, for some reason, and theater is a lot of work, which is why I did not make it of part of my, it's a lot of work. I did. And, and people think because of the presence that I have that, oh, he must be into like musical theater or like he's a straight up like stage actor. And I'm like, boo, mm. like it's a lot of work to do it right. And so I had gotten, so even at 20, I knew, I was like, uh-uh, somebody else is about to do this blocking. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and um, I, I think her name is Emily Blifqua. She was from Wisconsin and she, she is probably somewhere directing the hell out of some plays or something because she blocked the shit out of that production. Um, and it was, we had a great crew and it was, and it is on tape somewhere. A friend of mine, who now lives in Portland has that tape. Um, and Portland. It, That's where my mom lives. Yeah. She, she lives in Portland and she has the tape of that performance. And so, but anyway, I, it was a Sydney at that time, it, you know, it was a different world. It, again, it was pre nine 11. Um, it was the early two thousands. It was a very fast life. I mean, I was definitely like, I wouldn't call myself a club kid, but, um, borderline. Yeah, maybe going to the club, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I was up in the clubs. I was up in the clubs. I was up in the bars. I was out several days a week, and 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 of course, I met people from all over the world. There was a lot of um, there were in the community I lived in in Sydney. There was a there was a big presence from the Middle East. Um, lots of folks from Turkey and Lebanon. Lots of folks from um, and then also some a lot of Southeast Asia folks. Some people from Fiji. Um, and, uh, some folks, uh, from different parts of India, uh, and then folks who had grown up in Australia and fast forwarding to a reunion that I had with, again, my closest friend who lives in Australia, her name is Joyce. She spent her year in the U S right before Trump and she mm. got back, she got back to Australia, like right before he got the nomination and wow. three months after I, six months after she was here, I can't, I don't remember where we were. Maybe, he, um, maybe that person was already in that house that I wish he wasn't in. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I asked her, I, I said, you know, Joyce, what, what, what is your big reflection about the time you spent in the U.S.? It's six months later. And she said, you know, I think I'm just really I'm really fortunate to have been born in Australia. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. I was like, girl, you ain't want none of this. Honey, you better go live your real privilege. <laughs> Honey, this funny. is a discount privilege over this way. Because her quality, mm. their, their quality of life is out of this world over there. I can like, imagine. Their quality of life is like, it's so, I mean, it's not perfect. I mean, yeah. and in some well, ways it is. Yeah, it's not places are much better than New York. You know what I mean? So it's not even about New York, just America, period. Like them, like that place as a country. Right. Yeah, it's just, but yeah, so that's, that's sort of my commentary on Australia, but that's the only place I ever like went to go live. I mean, I've been to, I've been to Africa twice and I've been to Europe. Um, And um, 
And I really, and honestly, Toronto would steal me from New York if it wasn't so cold. But um, yeah, so that's There's kind of travel. There's a Let me ask you, how have you been doing during this time, during this pandemic time? Mm-hmm. What's you creative? Yeah, it's been very, 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 very interesting. Um, I, uh, so I came into a situation where um, I was supposed to- First of all, let me say, you you just recently got married, so congratulations on that. You're still a newlywed, and congratulations on the new family. Thank you. I was lucky enough to to be able to witness that experience um, in a different way, Yeah, actually, you know? Zoom weddings. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's zoom, zoom, zoom. Yeah, we uh, we were amongst the crowd to have um, our marriage license be granted to us virtually. Uh, so shout out to the state and the city of New York. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a very smooth, I have to say, you know, we, government definitely has its issues and I'm very verbal about those. But when they get something right a little bit, I have to uplift that. And honestly, they, between this, the uh, state government and the city clerk's office of New York, they really got that part right. We still actually need to upload our marriage license. So thank you for reminding me. So, you know, nobody owns a printer anymore. And my, um, my wife is an essential worker who has helped literally thousands of families navigate homelessness and their um, search and acquisition of permanent housing. Uh, she's she's done that for um, most of the last decade with excellence. She's a um, director of social services uh, uh, at a 60-family at a shelter here in Queens. Um, so shout out to Charlotte Beasley. And it's really weird yeah. to call her that. She just changed her name. Yeah, Charlotte. Yeah, she didn't. She didn't even. She didn't even really tell me she was changing her name. I thought she was gonna hyphenate or like keep it, but she. It's it's changed. Um, so we. It so the 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 pandemic, and the civil unrest. So it kind of looks like this. I was. Um, I moved from my beloved apartment in Bedford Stuyvesant. Um, which I had been in, you know, for all of my, for all of my thirties, to where she lives in Jamaica, um, which is only really like a few miles away, but is literally like the other side of the world in some ways. Um, And I moved here, Jamaica, Queens, not Jamaica, Jamaica. Yeah. And so uh, we, I moved here and we settled here because, um, her son, uh, who is now my bonus son, goes to a really just wonderful school. Like being a black person, if you have a child or are partially responsible for a child and that child goes somewhere every day where people really, really care about them, like I could, like those people in that school, shout out to PS80, um, really, 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 really care about this young man. And I was like, no, this is where this young man needs to be for elementary school. So I need to move out here. So we made that decision. And beautiful and rare find. Beautiful and rare. They really care about him. And so 
Um, and it's a it's a it's a diverse staff. There's a lot of and there's a lot of really awesome caring black men that work in the programs there too. And I was like, yo, like this. You know what, Seth? I'm gonna have you back on to talk about that. Yeah, we we definitely that's definitely another conversation that needs to be had. Yeah, so I definitely want to have you back to talk about that. I yeah. wanna. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah, because I want to get back to your music for ah, just yeah. a moment. Who are some of your influences in music? My in- listening to what you listen to. Um, I you know for the last five years, I've been in this loop of I've been. I wanted, I've, I was, I have a playlist that prepares me better to answer this question. But in the last four or five years, I've been in this like um, loop of, um, I've been in this loop of like some of the mid 2000s stuff from Mariah Carey. I've been on this guy from uh, England called Tom Mish. Um, I really love, um, I really love some of the stuff that Damien, um, that the the Damian Marley does. I love. Um, I've been listening to some stuff from when I was a kid uh, from the brand new heavies. I've been listening mm-hmm. to Sarah McLaughlin. Um, I've been listening to. Um, I've been listening to. I mean, I love Jasmine Sullivan and India Ari. Um, I have, uh, I've all, I think I've always been inspired some in, by somehow by osmosis by Al Jarreau. Like Jarreau, like when I listen to Jarreau, I'm like, I'm doing a lot of that stuff. And is it because I was up too late when I was a kid watching like Moonlighting where he sang the theme? I'm like, why am I doing so much that this man is doing? Like, why do I sound this much like this man? Because I don't really remember him. Like, I've always known who he was, but like, I'm like, wait, yo. Um, (laughs) And then, um, yeah. And then there's a guy, um, there's a jazz guy uh, that got me into... um, that there's there's some jazz influences that got me into softer tones, um, and yeah, just really I just exploring um, exploring Miles Davis and another artist who just exploring Miles Davis in a way of just the instrumentation just that got me into some softer tones like around five, six, seven years ago. And that's kind of reflective in my, um, in my, uh, kind of in my work. So those are, those are the influences. Love it. That's a nice variety. Very Mm -hmm. nice variety. So I'm going to ask you to do us one favor, if you will. Would you mind singing us a little something? Absolutely. Um, I, Absolutely. And so what what I, what I do want to do before I sing is the quick wrap up to your question earlier. This this period of pandemic and of civil unrest is this for me it has been having to sit having to sit still and move forward at the same time and also get comfortable with the uncomfortable and really getting into that concept of bothness. Like it is both horrible and awful and scary 
and also still every day that I wake up into, I have to figure out again, how I live a life that I can learn to love to live in. So that is what this whole period of pandemic and, um, and civil unrest has been for me. Um, and so with that, I'm going to share a song called Beautiful Complexity. And you can cut me off. How, mu- how much time of this do you want? Uh, just give me a little, a couple of bars, because I have one more question after that. Okay. I'll give you a verse, and then I'll cut, I'll cut myself off. Here we are. Beautiful Complexity. Hey, y'all, we should be dancing and beautiful. Oh, yes, we are. The that we sail our dangerous travels have a destination. Ha, the storyline should tell. And what do you go through? Gotta throw you so that you can teach some lessons. To all the travelers behind in this beautiful complex Life's a beautiful complexity. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful complexity. Beautiful complexity. That was a verse of beautiful complexity. Oh. How did you know? That's my favorite song of yours. Thank you. I love singing that song. <laughs> I need everybody to check him out. Thank you. Where you at? And you know what that means? It's time for. Thank you. Where you at? We need to know how to find you, Stephan Anthony Beasley. So hit everybody up. Let us know what your social media is. Mm-hmm. So Instagram, Facebook. And Twitter is Stephan Anthony Beasley. Stephan is spelled like Stephen with a P-H. And Anthony is A-N-T-O-N-Y, no H. Um, You can find Stephan Anthony Beasley on YouTube as well as iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud for all uh, 13 years of my music. Uh, There's also a playlist of all... um, of of the last 12 years of live performances, over a hundred videos. So please like and comment and share on those. I am 17 episodes into a series called Songs from the Stairs that I do every Thursday. Uh, You can catch me on um, the March 27th episode of Invisibilia. I'm in the soundtrack of that. Invisibilia is an NPR podcast podcast with an international following. And I have recorded four at-home concerts for an organization called Sing for Hope. They're not posted yet, but please follow them. It's an amazing organization um, who contributes so much to community members and also pays artists. So um, that's where you can find me. Uh, That's where you can find everything about music, everything about the, uh, the acting stuff I do, and also uh, in the realm of public health. So I hope that uh, hope that you find me. Hope that we connect. Thank you, Stephan Anthony Beasley, yep. for joining us here at One Mike Night Podcast. Please make sure you follow him on all social medias. Download the music. Go to his page. 
support the artist. If you like this podcast, you can follow us at One Mike Knight. That's O-N-E-M-I-C-N-I-T-E on all social medias. You can also watch some videos on YouTube. Um, you can follow me at Marcos Luis, M-A-R-C-O-S-L-U-I-S on all social media. Go to Mike.com and find the link there. Please like and share this podcast, Inspirational Stories of Artists. Tell a friend, I can't do it without you. Share, share, share. And we'll see you next time on the One Mike Night Podcast. Thank you.